0: Episode 28. Intravenous emposeritrine plus uh, flucytosine is used for the induction therapy in the patient with cryptococcal meningoencephalitis. Cryptococcal meningitis is usually a subacute meningitis and the patient commonly present after weeks of symptoms. It is most commonly seen in immunocompromised patient, those with HIV. Symptoms are due to increased intracranial pressures, that is headache, from the capsular swelling. Almost all the patient has markedly elevated opening pressures on the spinal tap but uh, some if uh, the patient does not have these findings then it's not the cryptococcal meningitis okay now intravenous ceftriaxone and vancomycin emphos em- ampicillin in age more than 50 are the empiric treatment for the bacterial meningitis why i'm talking about this emphicillin in age more than 50 because it uh listeria because of the listeria meningitis okay csf analysis in this patient typically shows the elevated white blood cell count with neutrophil predominance Along with the neutrophil predominance, there is low glucose and elevated protein concentration often more than 250 mg per deciliter. So magnetic resonance imaging that is the MRI of the brain is sensitive for detection of the demyelination or the focal abnormalities of the temporal lobe specifically in case of herpes simplex virus encephalitis. And the treatment of that will be intravenous acyclovir that should be started as soon as possible with suspected viral meningitis encephalitis basically okay without further imaging studies. Now is. Chlordiazepoxide is used for treatment of the alcohol withdrawal in the hospitalized patients. Withdrawal can begin within one to two days of the stopping alcohol and present with tremolence, anxiety, headache, and palpation. These can for, uh, progress to fever, hypertension and delirium tremens too. Okay, the patient CSF findings of all these things uh, are uh, not suggesting of the alcohol withdrawal, so that's not the case now. So, basically, the viral encephalitis can present with cerebrospinal fluid findings such as elevated WBC, which is lymphocytic predominance, elevated red blood cell count, normal glucose levels, normal or slightly elevated protein concentration. Early embryonic treatment with intravenous acyclovil should be started as soon as possible, suspecting the herpes simplex virus encephalitis until confirmatory tests are uh, returning. Okay, so you have to start the acyclovir you don't have to wait for the confirmatory testing okay you have to start as soon as possible in case of viral conditions meningitis now let's talk about mumps so in mumps you have the parotitis you also have brain involvement where you can see the meningitis that that would be the aseptic meningitis you also see orchitis all right so the teenagers with parotitis following a non-specific prodrome such as fever, myelgia, fatigue, likely has mul- mums. Oh, I'm really sorry about that. It's mums, okay. This contagious viral illness is uh, usually self-limiting, but s- serious complications due to systemic spread of the virus are possible. Okay. The virus has affinity for the granular epithelium and classically causes perititis, which can be unilateral or bilateral. Orchitis is a common complication that can develop in an infected adolescent boy or young adult and impairs the fertility of that boy. Pancreatitis has been described in the infected children and adult. Okay. And the virus is uh, neutrotropic and can cause the aseptic meningitis, generally benign and sensory neural hearing loss often transient but can lead to deafness too okay so virus is a neutrotropic one okay so it has affinity for neutro, neutrophils and it causes the aseptic meningitis because it brings the neutrophils over there but you can't find any organism over there okay generally benign condition but it can lead to sensory neural hearing loss initially and which is transient and later on it can lead to permanent deafness too immunizations against the mum is provided mums is um Provided by the measles, mumps, rubella vaccines, MMR vaccines, okay. Um, amongst unvaccinated children's mumps is most common in school children, okay, who often have milder disease or asymptomatic disease. Symptoms are more severe and complicated and are more likely to be seen in unvaccinated or adolescent or adult kids and uh, adolescent or adult person. And uh, vaccinated persons are more likely to present in late adolescence stage or early adulthood stage as immunity wanes slowly. Okay. Now, let's talk about glomerulonephritis. Glomerulonephritis follows the streptococcal pharyngitis course or the streptococcal cellulitis course. But this patient was not having any signs and symptoms of that uh, pharyngitis or cellulitis. So, yeah, basically, this is glomerulonephritis is not the answer in this case. Mumps is not associated with the uh, hepatitis, so we don't have to worry about that, okay. And primary infections with HIV can present with uh, parotitis and sub, uh, subsequently leads to uh, reduction in the CD4 cells. But uh, this patient was not sexually active and he was not at all using the intravascular drug. So, and there is really like low predisposition for the HIV infections in this patient. Myositis uh particularly affects the calves and the thighs and can be a complication of influenza influenza present with fever myalgias and pharyngitis and often with lower respiratory tract infection but you don't see parotitis with the uh, influenza so you don't have to worry about the myositis as a complication myositis can be a complication of influenza but you have to remember this thing okay epstein barr virus causes infectious mononucleosis which is a s- syndrome including the fever pharyngitis and cervical lymphadenopathy and uh, complications may include the splenomegaly in severe cases, teeny rupture can also be there. Okay, so yeah, that's it. The mumps presence with fever, parotid, parotitis, and although the mumps generally self-limiting, but complication includes orgitis, aseptic meningitis, pancreatitis, and deafness. Complications is commonly seen in older and unvaccinated individuals. Now let's discuss some interesting stuff. That is the tetanus t- t- profile axis. Uh, this profile is actually a little bit tough. And you forget this so many times, but you have to revise this, revise this multiple times so the, that then it will be easier for you. So, let's begin. Let's just discuss this once treatment uh, tetanus prophylaxis. Okay, so in tetanus prophylaxis, you have to see whether three or more tetanus oxide doses are given or not, or unvaccinated, uncertain, or less than three tetanus oxide doses are there. So if the patient does not know about the vaccination status or he is unimmunized or there is less than three dose of the tetanus toxoid, then you have to do something else. And if uh, the tetanus toxoid doses are completed, that is more than three, then he has to do something else. Not only looking at the time or the status, we also have to look about the wound. So if the wound is clean and uh, minor, so we do something else. And if the wound is dirty and severe, then again we do something else. So now let's talk about... If uh, more than equal to 3 tetanus toxide dose were taken and the wound is clear and minor, so what do you do now? So, tetanus toxide containing vaccines only if last dose was more than 10 years ago. Okay, no tetanus toxide immunoglobulin. So, uh, in uh, the clean wound case, we only have to give them tetanus toxide containing vaccine. That is, booster can be given of uh, DPT toxoids. Which is uh, absorbed and tetanus toxide and reduced diphtheria toxide and acellular pertussis. that is TDAP. Okay, so TDAP boosters can be given. We don't have to give the TIG, that is, we don't have to give the tetanus immunoglobulins if the case, if the vaccination was uh, given more than 10 years ago. Okay, now if the wound is dirty and it's severe, but the three doses of the tetanus toxides are already given, then you have to give the patient tetanus toxide vaccine only. And if the last dose was uh, more than equal to 5 years ago, okay? And uh, you don't have to give the TIG here. But for dirty ones, more than equal to 5 years. And for clean ones, more than equal to 10 years, okay? You don't have to give immunoglobulins if it is, if the patient has already taken 3 doses of the toxide, okay? Now, unimmunized patient, uncertain patient, less than 3 toxide doses and the wound is clear and minor. Then you have to give the patient tetanus toxide containing vaccine only okay i already told you TDAP vaccine can be given or td vaccine can also be given and here we don't have to use the tig okay and uh, it, uh and uh, if the immunization status is less than three then we don't have to think about that uh, how many years back the immunization was given or something dirty one and severe one is there then we have to give the patient tetanus toxoid containing vaccine then along with that we have to give the tig that is tetanus immunoglobulins so you have to remember uh, all the other treatment are same we don't only have to give them tetanus toxin containing one vaccine but uh, and we don't have to give tig for the three cases but only in one case we have to give the tig that is the dirty and severe wound, and the vaccination status is either the patient is unimmunized or ser- uncertain or less than three tetanus toxoid dose was given okay and for clear one the time duration is more than equal to 10 years and for dirty one it is time duration is more than equal to five years now Clostridium tetani is an anaerobic spore forming gram-positive bacilli found in the soil. Following the traumatic in- in- tissue inoculation, it can release a neurotoxin that is tetanus toxins leading to a symptomatic tetanus. <laughs> Typical symptoms include tonic contractions and spasm of the skeletal muscles leading to neck stiffness and masseter spasm, which leads to locked jaw, which can lead to up which can last for up to four to six weeks. The risk of the tetanus is greatest in the wound that is deep, that is punctured wound and contain devitalized tissue that is burn or crush injuries. Titanus is a vaccine preventable illness and symptomatic cases are uncommon in developing countries. Current recommendations for are for children to receive 3 primary vaccines at ages 2, 4 and 6 months, 2 months, 4 months and 6 months. With additional recommended dose at 15 to 18 months and at 4 to 6 months. 6 years, sorry, 15 to 18 months and 4 to 6 years. So 2 months, 4 months, 6 months, 15 to 18 months, and then 4 to 6 years. Adults should receive a single dose of tetanus, diphtheria, acellular pertussis portusis, that is DTAP, followed by revaccination boosters for tetanus and diphtheria only, that is TD, every 10 years thereafter. Okay. Now, Patients uh, with significant dirty punctured wound who have received more than equal to 3 tetanus toxide doses and have not received revaccinations for the tetanus toxoid within 5 years should be vaccinated. This patient has not received Tdap in adulthood and should therefore be given a single dose of Tdap which is enough for this case. Okay. Now, tetanus toxide immunoglobulins. Which provides immediate passive immunity, but a temporary one is used to treat the symptomatic tetanus. It is also recommended, in addition to the tetanus vaccine, for prophylaxis of severe and contaminated wounds in the patient who have not received at least three doses of tetanus vaccines or who don't whose vaccination status is unknown or uncertain. TIG is never administered without tetanus vaccination. So that's the clear point. Now, I hope you got the fact. Now moving further the next thing is let's talk about the cutaneous larva migraines disorder cutaneous larva migraines let's talk about the epidemiology of that so it is caused by hookworm hookworm larva basically and uh, it is transmitted by dog known as the encyclostoma caninum and cat a brazilian brazilian sea. encyclostoma brazilian c okay so these are the two uh cause uh carrier we can say reservoir of the hookworm larvae human are the incidental host and barefoot contact with this contaminated sand or the soil can be a risk factors clinical features includes primarily lower extremity you mean they mainly affect the lower extremity because since they are uh, getting into the human body when they are walking barefoot on the sand and the soil okay Cutaneous, it can uh, infect the deeper infections, but it's a rare call, a rare thing. Okay, erythematous puritic papules at the site of the entry would be there. Intense puritic will be there, and mitigating and serpiginous reddish brown tract of that particular larva would be seen on the leg. Okay, so intense puritic, my mig- migrating serpiginous reddish brown tracts will be there. Diagnosis is made with the help of history or clinical findings, and also eosinophils usually are normal. Although this is an uh, uh, hookworm sort of thing, but still the eosinophils will be normal. Treatment includes the anti helminthic therapy that is the ivermectin. So you have to give them ivermectin. So cutaneous larva migraines is a creeping cutaneous eruption caused by dog that is encyclostoma canium or cat uh, encyclostoma braziliense hookworm larva. Most infections are acquired by walking barefoot on the contaminated sand or the beach and the soil. and uh, Humans are the incidental host and the larva are typically unable to penetrate the dermal basement membrane. As a result, the cutaneous infections without deeper penetrations is the norm. The most infections occur in the lower extremity that is 70% and symptoms usually start with a puritic erythematous papules at the side of the larva penetrations which may go un, which may go unnoticed. Okay. Within a few days, the patient develops symptomat- symptoms related to the larva, larva migration intensely puritic serpent genus red brown cutaneous tracks although most cases resolve spontaneously after a few weeks antihelmintic such as ivermectins are useful and usually given to aid the clearance okay now there are other options too so let's discuss them brown rel- recluse spider okay brown recluse spider bite are bites occurs most commonly on the upper arm thorax and inner thighs okay so this spider bites on the upper arm thorax or inner thighs bite are characterized by red plaques and papules with a central clearing so if you see a red plaques and papules with central clearing some patient may even develop a necrotic asher this patient was having the lesions on the lower extremity and that was pruritic and serpentinous so that was uh, more uh, likely to have the cutaneous larva migraines okay consumption of the undercooked meat and contaminated pork can lead to the gastrointestinal infections because of the tapum that is thinia solium most patients are asymptomatic but can develop nausea anorexia and abdominal pain cutaneous manifestation would be atypical if the patient is having contaminated food or the contaminated pork or something okay ursheol is an irritant component of poison ivv poison oak and poison sumac Patient often develop intense periodic linear vascular lesions, but you can also have a blister and the papules over there. If it's because of urshiol, that simply contact dermatitis, it can cause a contact dermatitis. This patient raised serpentinous linear is not associated with the uh, urshiol exposure. Okay, I don't know what do you call urshiol because I call it urshiol, but it spells like uroshiol, U-R-O-S-H-I-O-L. Okay next is sporotrichosis a so fungal infection that can ri- arise after exposure to decaying vegetations when gardening and landscaping occurs okay yeah so sporotic psyche is the uh, and symptoms includes nodules that get ulcerated and then drains like odorless non purulent fluid okay yeah and it uh, proxi- uh, ascends via lymphatic chains and it's not puritic uh, if it is puritic then only a uh, milder symptoms will be there so, this is it for the cutaneous larva migraines and the uh, corresponding symptoms. Now, let's talk about the causes of osteomyelitis in a child. So, patient population. If the child are healthy, healthy children, the most common organism is staphylococcus aureus. And the empiric antibiotic which you are using is if low likely to have the MRSA, then you use nafcillin, oxalin or cephazoline, And if they are high likely to have, you have MRSA, then you use clindamycin or vancomycin, okay. Next is if the child was with sickle cell disease, and the organism causing will be staph, Salmonella species or Staph aureus. And uh, um, empiric treatment would be same as above. Like if it's a MRSA, then you have to use Nephsilin. Uh, sorry, if it's less likely to be MRSA, then you have to use Nephsilin, oxaline and Cephazolin. And if it's more likely to be MRSA, then you have to use Clindamycin or Vancomycin. Plus, the third generation cephalosporins such as the Ceftriaxone and Cefotaxime, are needed Okay, for uh, Salmonella species too. Now, The patient history and diagnostic workup are consistent with osteomyelitis. The patient with sickle cell disease are at high risk of uh, or at increased risk of osteomyelitis as microinfarctions in the bone causing the impaired blood flow of the sickle cells through the narrow metaphyseal vessels act as a needle for infarction infections. In addition, the splenic infarctions render the patients with sickle cell disease functionally asplenia and therefore more susceptible to the infections with the encapsulated organism. In the United States, Salmonella and the Staphylococcus aureus are the most common causative organism for the osteomyelitis in the children with sickle cell disease. Salmonella is an encapsulated organism that accounts for approximately two-thirds of the osteomyelitis in the children with sickle cell disease but is an extremely rare cause without the condition. Staph aureus is the most common cause of the osteomyelitis in a healthy individual or healthy child, but accounts for approximately one quarter cases of the sickle cell disease too. Empiric antibiotic uh, coverage against both the organism is wanted while culture are pending. Okay, the osteomyelitis is suspected in the children with sickle cell disease, the third generation cephalosporin that ceftriaxone and the cephalococcal therapy that is oxycelin or vencomycin depending upon the MRSA or the mersa resistant or sensitivity okay and uh, should be administered so yeah this is it you have to remember about the ceftriaxone also and uh, the anti-staphylococcal antibody okay now let's talk about the group b streptococcus and e coli. this can also cause the osteomyelitis and septic arthritis in an infant but less than two months old but and it is extremely uncommon in older children so you have to forget about that in older children but in less than two months old e-coli and group b streptococci can cause osteomyelitis kingela is a fastidious gram negative organisms and it can also cause the osteomyelitis and septic arthritis in young person young child okay generally two months to four years so kingala can be an organisms but if uh, the word fastidious would be there niziragonovagy causes the mono monoocular septic arthritis in sexually active individual okay so this is a different case it won't cause the osteomyelitis pseudomonas can cause osteomyelitis after direct introductions so like it can directly enter from the punctured bone uh, through a shoe or a bone okay however pseudomonas is a rare cause of the infections in sickle cell disease okay now next is the patient with sickle cell disease are high risk for septococcus pneumonia sepsis especially before the age of five years however pneumococcal infections can cause the uh, does not cause the osteomyelitis; it simply causes the pneumonia yeah so that's it for uh, uh, this thing now let's move further and let's talk about the foodborne diseases okay so foodborne diseases if it is vomiting predominant that the patient is having vomiting and excessive vomiting then you have to think about either staphylococcus aureus bacillus cereus or norovirus okay example Norwalk virus. So aureus, Bacillus series and Norwalk virus. Norwalk virus. Okay. Next is watery diarrhea predominant. So you see there Clostridium perfringens, enterotoxicogenic E. coli, enteric virus, Cryptosporodium, Cyclospora, intestinal tape So watery diarrhea predominant are the Clostridium perfringens, enter enterotoxicogenic E. coli, enteric virus infections, cryptosporidium cyclospora, intestinal tapeworm. Inflammatory diarrhea predominant is the Salmonella, both the typhi and the non-typhi one, and Campylobacter, Shigella toxins producing E. coli can also be there, Shigella can be there, Enterobacter, Vibrocolary will be there, usually the Parahemolyticus one and the Ersenia. So yersinia vibrochloric the bala hemolyticus one entrobacter shigella, shigella toxin producing e coli campylobacter salmonella both typhi and non-typhi inflammatory diarrhea predominant non gastrointestinal symptoms includes the botanism that is the descending paralysis or ciguatera that ciguatera toxins can also be there which causes the paresthesias and scromboid Thing can also be there which can cause a flushing and arctic areas listeria can cause meningitis and vibrio can cause cellulitis and sepsis hepatitis a can cause jointis, and brucellosis can cause fever and althergias so brucellosis fever and althergias hepatitis a joined vibrio-vulnificus cellulitis and sepsis listeria meningitis scomboride Causes flushing and urticaria and ciguatera toxin causes paresthesias and botulinum toxins causes the descending paralysis. These are the non-gastrointestinal symptoms but all these organisms also cause the foodborne disease. So let's just talk about a case. A boy and a sister developed the concomitant acute gastrointestinal symptoms after attending a community lunch suggesting a foodborne illness. Approximately 50 million cases of the football illness occurs in United States each year. Pathogens, including the bacteria, virus, and parasite, suspicious for a specific etiologic organisms, is often suggested by the food consumed, length of the time, of the symptoms, and the symptom complex. aureus is found in the nose and on the skin of 25% of the population most patients are asymptomatic but colonized food handlers can transmit the staph aureus due to food uh, due to food during the preparation of the food specifically dairy items meat eggs produces uh, the and also the salads like rats potato salads and everything so these can also cause the staph aureus uh, these also have the staph aureus and this can cause the staph aureus produces enterotoxins in the contaminated food that rapidly consumes that rapidly causes the symptoms even after ingestion only like one to four hours after ingestion vomiting is the primary symptoms of that and diarrhea may or may not be present illness is usually self-limiting resolves completely within 24 to 48 hours okay so illness is usually self-limiting and it resolved completely within 12 to 24 to 48 hours so you have to remember this thing now bacillus cereus also causes rapid onset of the vomiting due to the toxins produced outside the body however the bacillus cereus is usually transmitted via the rice and ha- that has been reheated or left over in the room for extended period of time okay but if uh, someone is talking about the potato salad, then you have to think about the staphylococcus only okay now campylobacter jejuni and non-typhoidal salmonella directly attack the colonic epithelium and causes the watery diarrhea maybe with blood or mucus severe abdominal pain will be there and fever will be there both organisms are transmitted via pottery so you have to think about pottery then you have to think about the campylobacter jejuni or non-typhoidal salmonella okay salmonella is associated with turtles too so you have to think about turtles okay this patient has vomiting predominance therefore it is the uh, staph uh, aureus only clostridium deficiency causes the antibiotic associated colitis that is watery and abdominal pain although this patient has antibiotic uh, a month ago but uh, vomiting is a primary symptom therefore it's not clostridium deficits and clostridium provenance and enterotoxicogenic e coli and shiga-like toxin producing e coli these organisms are also causing the diarrhea but it is bloody diarrhea and the symptoms typically delayed more than equal to one day not in hours okay then clostridium perfinges any enterotoxicogenic e coli causes watery diarrhea and shigella causes the watery diarrhea along with the blood and often it leads to the renal failure with shigella like o. e coli So, uh, O157, H7 stain can lead to HUS. So, we have to think about that also. GRDI is transmitted primarily via contaminated water. Incubation period is 7 to 14 days. Symptoms include a foul-smelling, watery diarrhea. Listeria monogelitis is a football illness that occasionally causes a self-limiting febrile gastroenteritis, that is watery diarrhea. Patients who are immunocompromised and pregnant women are uh, extreme uh, extremes of the age that is less than two or more than 50 years may develop invasive disease such as bacteremia and meningoencephalitis because of this listeria monocytogens okay so basically What is the gist of this question? The syphorias causes foodborne illness due to ingestion of the preformed toxin. Vomiting is pre-emitting symptoms and usually begins 1-6 to hours after the exposure. Diarrhea may or may not be present when colonized food handlers usually transmit syphorias to food during the preparation. Okay. So that's it for uh, this lecture. Thank you for listening.